So this morning I'd like to just reflect a little bit more upon this second foundation ground of establishing mindfulness that John spoke about yesterday, Vedana, the feeling tone, a textual tone that pervades, that permeates all of our experience moment to moment. Sometimes people wonder why Vedana (coughs) occupies its own kind of foundation of mindfulness in the Satipatthana. You know, because it's very easy to kind of think of it as being rather insignificant, not terribly important. But in reality, our moment-to-moment experience is governed by our responses and our reactions to Vedana. We could even go so far as to say that Vedana rules consciousness. Vedana and our reactions to it rules consciousness, rules how our world is shaped moment to moment. And when we reflect, of it, reflect on it, we, re- we actually realize that we, we can go through life, go through our days, assuming that our personal views are describing reality, are an absolute truth. We say people are great. We assume the whole world might see the same way. People are depressed. People are essentially good or depraved. The world is full of threat. The world is essentially benevolent. Politicians are corrupt. Politicians are public servants. Meditation's great. The whole world should do it. Meditation is truly an ordeal. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. And and of course, our view of the moment, we simply often remains unquestioned. It takes really only a little reflection, a little introspection, to realize that we live in a very personal world. We actually often, this often comes as a surprise to us. We don't realize how very personal our world is until, of course, we encounter someone who is inhabiting a very different personal world. And then we realize, actually, this is not a universal truth. This is my world. We see that that personal world sometimes changes very, very much moment to moment depending on the mind state of the moment. You know, one moment you can come into the meditation room full of eagerness, enthusiasm, passion. Another moment, it's remarkably how slow we can do walking meditation to get in here. You know, a sense of dread about what is going to unfold, what is waiting for me. Changing some of our personal worlds lasts much longer. Now, understanding how our personal world is constructed moment to moment is an inquiry which is very, very central to this path. Because it becomes apparent to us that our personal view, our personal world, of course, very much governs our actions, our thoughts, our choices, what we pursue, what we avoid, what we commit ourselves to, what we feel more ambivalent about. So this construction of our personal world very much begins with Vedana. much begins with Vedana. There's a basic formula in Buddhist psychology that is not an abstract theory, that this is a kind of formula of construction that we can all trace and track in our own minds. And I would very much invite you to do that, to actually see that you know, where we end up in these destinations, these views, but there has been a process of construction. And that process of construction indeed can be seen, can be understood, and then we are not so governed by it.
So think about this basic formula. What we contact, we feel. What we feel, we perceive. What we perceive, we think about. What we think about, we proliferate about. What we proliferate about becomes the shape of our mind. And the next step, that the shape of our mind very often becomes the shape of our life, the shape of our world. What we contact, we feel. What we feel, we perceive. What we perceive, we think about. What we think about, we proliferate about. What we proliferate about becomes the shape of our mind. This process, and I encourage you to examine that. You know, the contact, of course, as John spoke about yesterday, is this kind of just the meeting of the sense door with the sensory information, the knowing of that, the feeling tone of pleasant or unpleasant that registers with that contact and perception. The beginning of how we think, what we proliferate about, what we dwell upon, what we dwell upon becoming the shape of our mind. This is a process that happens, of course, so quickly. And it happens thousands of times in a single day. So the first job of mindfulness, of course, is to begin to slow down this process that seems to happen so fast that we're in a particular shape of mind before we know it. Happy, sad, you know, depressed, aversive, wanting, you know, anxious. So it's to slow down the process. Now everything that we've been doing in the practice here, as we've spoken about a lot, is beginning to slow down this process so we come closer to the moment of contact. As the Buddha once said, the world arises on contact. The foolish seek to pursue contact, and the wise seek to understand it. Now, you couldn't really see that, that sometimes we're very much in a mind state where we are pursuing contact, you know, more sights, more sounds, more, more experience, more events, more taste, more touch. And that's a world of agitation, isn't it? But here we're seeking to understand contact because we, we understand that process. But because we, we really see that this practice is concerned with freeing the mind, with liberating the mind, with liberating the heart from these constructions that often feel, because of their speed, so un- inaccessible. As long as we live, there is contact. There's no problem. As long as we live, there will be a range, the spectrum of feeling tones that come with contact. No problem. The difficulty is, without mindfulness, is that the moment of contact and the feeling tone, of course, is bringing into being these underlying tendencies wanting, not wanting, liking, disliking, pursuit, avoidance. We've spoken about this a lot. So important to see this in our experience. Can there be the feeling of pleasant, appreciated, tasted, without the additional piece of craving, of wanting, pursuing? Can there be the unpleasant, without the additional extras of aversion, of resistance, of blame, of pushing away. Then we're talking about stillness. Because we see what the underlying tendencies do is they pull us towards, they lead us to push away, they actually lead very directly into agitation. The agitation of of those movements towards and away from, but also the agitation of all the proliferation, the narratives that begin about what we like and what we don't like. And I'm sure we've all had plenty of opportunities so far in this retreat to have a taste of those narratives. Sometimes they're very interesting and fascinating and enjoyable, and sometimes they feel really oppressive. 
you know, because here, when we speak about that proliferation, we're actually speaking about the nature of obsession. And to have a mind that obsesses is to have a mind that is tormented. To have a mind that is tormented. So we're undoing the habit of proliferation, undoing the habit of world constructions, by having sufficient mindfulness to actually come closer and closer to the eye meeting the sight, the ear meeting the sound, the tongue meeting the taste, the mind meeting the thought, the body meeting the sensation, have it coming closer and closer to those arisings and passings and exploring the possibility of being so present in those moments that we do not interrupt the arising and passing flow of phenomena which is life. Every time there's a kind of seizing upon, you know, contact moments, we're actually kind of stepping out of that kind of flow, that river of arising, passing life events. Undoing the habits of craving, aversion, undoing the habits of delusion, and to see these as psychological and emotional habits that only exist in the absence of awareness and the absence of understanding. We're not talking about, you know, and this arose in one of the groups yesterday, we're not talking about, you know, negating the very wholesome desires that exist in our life, you know, the desire for peace, the desire, you know, for good, good loving relationships, the desires that brought us here, after all. What we are talking about is this very specific section, segment of craving, aversion, which actually just leads us into these contracted spaces. Because what we see in craving and aversion is that they are always messengers of underlying belief systems in insufficiency. Have you noticed in the moments in your day when you feel a genuine inner contentment, sense of ease, cravings not operating so much? Aversion doesn't operate so much. But often with the movement of craving and aversion, we're basically saying, as Akinjana said last night, I am not enough. This moment is not enough. There is a not enough present. The not enough mind, the not enough self-view, the not enough belief system is the fertile ground upon which that whole movement of craving aversion really operates. In many ways, our practice is so simple. So simple. We're learning to attend. We're learning to be present in slowing down the processes, slowing down, calming the agitation, calming the agitation moment to moment. It's not just about how many breaths we have in a row, how long we sit, how many moments, you know, footfalls we catch. It is about cultivating this sense of inner quietude, poise, balance, to be truly present in our life. So important, you know, in these days as the retreat goes on, I know how difficult the first days can be. You know, struggling with, you know, sleepiness that never seems to end, you know, struggling with body discomfort, you know, the speed of our thoughts that never seems to give us a break. But you will find as the days go on that some of that begins to just calm a little. But remembering calmness is not the destination. This is actually a very important day in the retreat because I know if you've been assailed by, you know, hordes of Mara and storms of hindrances and they begin to calm down, oh, it feels such a relief and you can almost have the feeling, well, job done. You know, that's it, you know. And not everybody will be in that place, you know. Many of us, many of you may, you know, working with the hindrances may be the whole of your retreat. That's absolutely fine. There isn't a better thing to be practicing with. But when calmness comes, be aware of that mind that says, you know, okay, arrived. I could go home now. (laughs) 
you know, get in a few days on the beach after all, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, kind of job done. It's calmness is not the destination. Calming the heart, calming the mind provides a ground for that deeper investigation, that deeper inquiry, which is really concerned with understanding, with insight. So being aware as we move into the heart of the retreat, you know, where we might, you know, um, you know, kind of go a little bit into retirement mode. Um, you know, it doesn't really matter if I have a little bit of spacing out now after all. I need deserve a little reward, you know, after all this hard work, you know. Um, really watching, you know, the times between sittings and walkings, the transition times, really being mindful of your work periods, you know, of meal times. But seeing the delight in mindfulness, this is most important. Seeing the delight in wakefulness. Not taking wakefulness on as this kind of, you know, very earnest endeavor. Experiencing, tasting the delight in being awake. That is a much bigger motivator at times than um, suffering can be sometimes. Oh, this is what calmness feels like. This is what it feels like to be more present. This is what it feels like to listen wholeheartedly, to see wholeheartedly, to actually inhabit this body really fully. This is what it feels like for the mind not to be governed by endless agendas, projects, doing. Ah, knowing what it is to sustain that ground of wakefulness which requires our presence, requires our, our attention, requires our participation. But tasting the delights, that those little moments of delight that may start to come, may start to be more perceptible. Okay, again, just taking your seat. And once more in the beginning of the sitting, just taking those moments to really inhabit the body. Where your body touches the ground, touch of your hands on your legs or together, the air on your skin. whole spectrum of sensations arising and passing in the body in this moment. A simple attending. Being mindful of the state of your mind, if any of the Hindrance factors are present in this moment. If there is heaviness, sinking, contractedness, if there is agitation, it's a simple knowing. Establishing the body of alertness. The body of wakefulness. Mindful of the breath body. The expanding, the relaxing, the beginnings, the endings.
Breathing in, calming the body. Breathing in, calming the mind. Breathing out, calming the body. Breathing out, calming the mind.
Okay, just a few words before you go to your walking. The first is to get clear, even at this stage, something the Buddha didn't say. The Buddha didn't say, just sit on your cushions and be mindful. What he actually said in the Satipatthana Sutta, those of you who are familiar with it would have read this, what he actually said was to be mindful in all postures, whether sitting, standing, lying, or walking. Hence the reason for the importance of the walking. So it's meant to cover the whole range of our activities. Walking is something that we engage in if we're able-bodied, often without thought, completely mindlessly. And so the Buddha is making the focus of one of our daily activities into just something we simply engage in all the time. One of the things often that we neglect to see within our practice, and this goes back to actually Christina's Dharma talk the other night, is we actually neglect to see the joy within either the sitting process or within the walking process. It's as if we get kind of fixated on seriousness. I don't know if you notice that meditation and walking is a very serious business. <laughs> and we sit there, or we walk. Actually, a lot of the walking that I've ever seen actually should have a background musical accompaniment. It's generally called Chopin's Funeral March. <laughs> That we don't, <laughs> we do, or actually the alternative is Berlioz's March to the Scaffold. That was really the alternative. <laughs> You're getting the picture, aren't you? <laughs> so often what we neglect to actually touch in our experience not to conjure it up, but just to see whether it is present or absence in this sitting process or in this walking process, is actually the joyfulness. And the joyfulness even in what I would call the kaleidoscope of Vedana, which is occurring to you in this moment-to-moment. As we sit, as we walk, we contact many, many things. Um, Actually, the perfect antidote to what I call Western Cartesianism, you know, the I think, therefore I am, is actually undermined by these very simple activities. I breathe, therefore I am. I walk, therefore I am. And in that walking, in that breathing, let's just concentrate on the walking, in that walking we have a kaleidoscope of experience that comes to us. Without choice, without selection, we are having this, the, the sounds that are arising, the feelings on our skin, the, um, the thoughts that are arising, the contact of our feet with the ground, all of these things arising completely spontaneously, completely unbidden at our sense doors. Often, in our seriousness of observation, we forget or we neglect, I should say, we neglect to see actually that even in the apprehension of something that we call unpleasant, there is a hidden joy within that. Even in the apprehension of the truck going past, not the sound of the birds or the rustling of the leaves or the gentle feel of the breeze on your skin, but just in that, There is an establishment of our sense of being in this world and also an implicit, I would say, joyfulness within it, if we can touch it, if we can be there with it. So Vedana, whether it is positive or whether it's negative, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, establishes our sense of being here. And I don't know about you, but I often think there's something rather wondrous about being here, even when we're having a pretty tough time. Just being here in this world with this life at this moment, experiencing what we're experiencing. There is something quite astonishing about this, which we actually lose in our experience of um, being linked on, hooked into self and self-concern. Just finally, 
when we move into walking, we turn in a degree outwards and looking at our outward experience. We're not just looking internally. We're not turned inwards, just looking at ourselves. We begin to contact the world. We do this sitting on our cushion, but we particularly do it in walking, in the movement, on each footfall, each contact with the ground, each sound that impinges on our ears, each sight or smell um, that it comes to us in the Vedana that is there. The Buddha was once asked, um, somebody came to see him, one of these weird guys that used to get an ancient Indian, dressed in bark. He traveled the whole way across India to see him, and then the Buddha said to him, actually, I'm sorry, I'm, t- I'm actually too busy to give you the teaching. <laughs> and this guy pleaded with him and said, um, you know, please give me the teaching. And the Buddha says, okay, I'll give you the teaching. This is the teaching. In the seeing, only the seeing. In the hearing, only the hearing. In the perceiving, only the perceiving. That's the teaching. In a sense, that's what we're coming back to. And then this point of contact that we have where the Vedana arises without proliferating it into something else, the sort of thing that Christina mentioned just a few moments ago, without taking it into a completely different realm, without adding, actually, without putting an additive into it. And this additive is I. Notice how we so easily put this I into the experience. So, just to come to the walking. The walking is the walking, the hearing is the hearing, the seeing is the seeing in our walking path. You know, seeing if we can touch the joy, seeing if that's there for us, not conjuring it up, not inventing it, but just taking it literally as we take on our cushions, it by breath by breath, literally step by step. That is all. Seeing what is there for us, and feeling the Vedana as it comes to our sense doors in this kaleidoscope of experience which establishes us here. And we can just be here without all the additives. Okay, um, enjoy your walking. Just one quick uh, announcement is for those who haven't had a group yet, um, bear in mind to look at the board because there are a group yesterday, sorry. If you didn't have a group yesterday, um, please look at the board because there are groups for today. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.